0: For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned in the death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, one man disobedience, we're all made sinners. The obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Isn't that a beautiful verse? It's a beautiful verse. Let's go over to Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two. Bible says in in, in verse number five, Philippians two, five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't you love to be able to get the mind of Christ? (laughs) Yeah, I would too. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. These groups that say, well, God just, uh. Jesus is is not God. He was just made by God. That's not what Philippians 2 suggests. It suggests that Jesus Christ thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't taking anything away from God by claiming equality with God. One God in three persons. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. These three are one. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. You know, we hear this word fashion today. It's about what you, what you wear. <laughs> what's the latest fashion designs? What's, what's the coolest fashion that we're going to buy and put on? Well, for God to come down in human form, and take on the fashion of a man to put on that flesh suit. That's pretty good. <laughs> Why would he want to put on flesh when flesh is the problem? 100% man and 100% God at the same time. You're God. <laughs> Why would you want to put on the weakness of human flesh and fashion yourself that way? Isaiah 53 says, he hath no form nor comeliness. And we, when we shall see him, there is no beauty. We should desire. How much of this world is vain? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything in this life is vain. All of the fashion styles It's all vanity. Clothing used to be. To cover yourself. Because of the shame. Of nakedness being exposed. Now the fashion designs of this world. Are specifically promoted to accentuate and show off that which shouldn't be shown off that is the world's design clothing is not a god standard anymore clothing has become Hollywood fashion statements my favorite actor, my favorite athlete my favorite whatever that's what they wear so that's what I wear you don't believe me I grew up in the I grew up in the 80s. A movie comes out, Top Gun, about airplanes. Except it really wasn't about airplanes. And, you know, the actor had a pair of cool sunglasses. And you know that year, that company that made those sunglasses, they sold more sunglasses that year. Why? Because everybody wanted to fashion themselves like the famous actor. I'm telling you this morning, we should want to fashion ourselves like Jesus Christ. We should want to have the mind of Jesus Christ. We should want to be obedient unto the Father like Jesus Christ was. He's worthy. He's worthy. Let's keep reading. He became obedient unto death. Verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. John 6, he says, for I come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. I say to you this morning, I'm not asking you. God is not asking you, nor is God asking me, nor are you asking me to die on the cross. But you know what God's asking us to do? Desire to do the will of the Father. With Jesus Christ as the example. Humble ourselves. Be obedient to God the Father. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says in verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God. As. As begrudgingly as you can. Oh, my, my, my. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Verse number two. And walk in mumbling and grumbling and mumble, mumble, grumble, grumble. Wait, it doesn't say that either. It says walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor I'm telling you there's nothing sweeter than a relationship with parents having their children as dear children walking after them in love that's how relationships are built Jesus Christ gave himself not mumbling not grumbling not complaining Not doing it begrudgingly. He gave himself for you because he loved you. And he wants you to be his dear child. You don't have to turn there. Psalm 40 says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hath thou opened. Burn offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Do you, like the Lord Jesus Christ, desire to do the Father's will? Not do you do the Father's will. Do you desire to do the Father's will? We all know the command, go out to all the world and preach the gospel. I may do that, but I may not be desiring to do that when I do that. Does God command you to pray without ceasing? Do you do that? But do you desire to do that when you do that? Or do you just do that? <laughs> There's a difference. Oh, dear children, do you walk in love? That's what God's saying. That's what he's asking. Do you walk in love? That's how, that, that's how we ought to walk. I delight to do thy will. You know, this world, people delight in a whole lot of things. Oh, I can't wait. Such and such a book is coming out soon. I can't wait. Such and such a movie is coming out soon. I can't wait. Such and such a relative is going to visit. We have a long distance family. Our family's in New Jersey and, you know, twice a year, it's, oh, I can't wait. We're going to visit family. Do you have that same desire with God? Or is it, well, it's Sunday. I know I'm supposed to be in church. Check. Well, the buzzer went off on my phone. It's time to pray. Pray. There's a difference between doing and desiring to do. Do you desire to want to walk in love? Do you desire to want to be known as a child of God? Go back to Romans chapter 5. Keep your finger in Ephesians 5. Go, to, go, uh, go back to Romans 5. Keep your finger in Ephesians 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse number 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what the law does? It puts on display your sinfulness, my sinfulness, the world's sinfulness. Now look, I understand that the Ten Commands, there were more than ten commands that were given to the nation. I get that. I understand that the Ten Commands were given to that nation, not to, an, to a Jewish nation, not a Gentile nation. I get that. I I get it wasn't given to us. But look, you know why they want to take the Ten Commands out of the courtrooms? Because they don't want anybody's sinfulness on display. I'm going to have to walk in and, and thou shalt not steal. it puts on display who we are as men and women. How many of you have a mirror in your house? We all do. How many of you look into that mirror? We all do. How many of you ever looked in the mirror? What's that? Oh, it's me. (laughs) Because you saw a spot on your face. Right? Oh, no. There's a big blemish on my face. Oh, no. There's a big knot on my nose. Oh, no. There's a big pimple on my forehead. Oh, no. I know what I'll do. I'll smash my face against the mirror and see if the mirror can take it off. Nobody does that. The mirror just exposes that you got a big knot on your face. But you can't take that mirror and put it on your face and get rid of what the blemish is. Can you? You can't. And no one in their right mind would do that. Maybe in the the medical ward the psychiatric ward of the medical hospital, they would. What do we do? We run for the water. And we take the water and we put it on our face. And we try to wash off that blemish. I asked you to stay in Ephesians 5. Let's go back there. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse number 25 husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word you know what the problem today is we have too many samson men yeah they're big they're real big they're real strong guys you know what Samson said? Get her for me. <laughs> for she pleaseth me. The problem today is most men only care about their wives for their own personal interests. Does she please me? Go and get her for me. It's Samson thinking. You know what that is? Selfish love. You know what God told us to do? Men, husbands, pay attention. Love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It's a sacrificial giving. You get nothing in return. Except to know that you're following the will of God. And you can rejoice in that. Samson said, even with the conversation, he said in Judges fourteen seven, he went down and talked with the woman. And she pleased Samson well. You know what that love was based on? It was all about Samson's selfish interests. It was for his pleasure, his enjoyment. The opposite of that is selfless love. That's when a husband seeks to promote his wife, not for his enjoyment, for her enjoyment. Any of you fellows like picking flowers? Well, you better. Because your wife may like to pick flowers. And if you want her to go out and play Rambo in the woods with you, then you're going to have to do some stuff she wants to do. She don't want to go hunting and fishing and fighting. And she do not want to do all that. Why does she do it? Because she loves you. You better learn how to pick up a spatula. You better learn how to go out and pick up some, pick some daisies. It don't matter if the friends at work make fun of you. Well, I can't stay after work, fellas. I got to go to the store and get some daisies. Ha <laughs> ha daisy man, daisy boy. You're going to endure that because you want your wife to be promoted. It's for her enjoyment. It's for her pleasure. It's what she wants. That's why Christ came and he died for you. He gave himself for you. You can enjoy the benefits of eternal life because of his selfless giving love. And a lot of marriages would do a lot better off if they just quit the nitpicking. Well, you this and you that and you this and you that. God says, just shut up with all that. Why don't you just love like I love? You know how much God could nitpick? All of us, he could just drop into hell and he'd be righteous and holy and just in doing it. Praise God, that's not what his will and character is. But he's God. He could do what he wants if he wanted to. All right. Let me just just take a deep breath on that one. Verse 27: Having not, not having spot or wrinkle (laughs) or any such thing. You're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish and without spot. He's got no blemishes or spots. You had too many husbands picking out all the spots and blemishes and the any and, and all, all the any such things, whatever they are. That's the nitpicking. The nitpicking. We have a lamb that was slain. That was without blemish. And that was without spot. And the more you and I start seeing ourselves as a criminal standing in the gallows with the executioner ready to hang us to our death sentenced penalty we are rotten with blemish we are rotten with spots yet Christ came and died he could have picked out all of your spots he could have picked out all of your blemishes but instead he gave himself perfect without spot and blemish to die for you so that you can have everlasting life. You can have peace through the blood of his cross and you stand, you stand without excuse because when the law entered Romans five, it stripped you and I of every cloth of righteousness, any outward fashioning of righteousness that we could come up with. And it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ we can enter into the holiness. But the law entered and here's the thing. Uh, Get 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the thing about the law. If the law prohibits you and I want it if the law requires it, you and I refuse it. If there's no law that a parent makes to go clean your room, there's no response of, I don't want to. It's not until the law entered that the sin about it. In other words, you just gave that child an opportunity to sin. How? By entering in the law. So when that law entered, there may have been some sins you wouldn't have done. Until that law entered and your rebellious nature came up. Because as soon as it was prohibited, you wanted to do it. First Corinthians 9. Man just wants to be free from any and all restraint. And so now he shakes his fist at God because now the law entered. First Corinthians 15. Look at verse 9. I want to show you something that contrasts the law. Uh, Paul speaking under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. For I am the best apostle. I read it that way because some of us think that we're the best. Because this world has conditioned us to be the best. Well, we go to the best school in town. Well, we have the best clothes. Well, we have the best. We have the best truck. We have the best tractor. Have you read the reviews? I'm the best Christian. Now, No no Christian says that. They just think that. They think that when they look at other Christians. They're not as best as I am. God just so loves me. They don't say those words. Those words come out in the way that they act and treat other believers or other apostles. What I'm suggesting this morning for all of us is, why don't we just say, like Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Were you ever against the church? Were you ever against God? Just call yourself the least. Just say, God, I am not worthy to be your child. I am not worthy of your grace. God, I am not worthy. I am the least. I am not me. Verse 10.
1: But by the grace
0: of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. Watch it a second time. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. You think he's bragging. Look at the semicolon connecting it. To the next phrase. Yet not I. And here it is for the third time. But the grace of God which was with me. Grace three times. It was in his mind. It was in his conversion. It was in his labors. All about his grace. All about his grace. Ephesians 3. Watch it here. Verse number 8. Ephesians 3 8, unto me who am less than the least of all the saints. That's pretty low. Here's the best. Here's the least. And now. Here's the last and least. (laughs) Well, that's the other guy. No, that's you. Don't get low, get lower. He says Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles? the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was less than the least. He gives God the praise by thanking him for his grace that was given. And the grace that was given him, that grace gave him the meekness to preach the gospel. We all know First Timothy 1 This is a faithful saying, unworthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief chief well bless god i got the right bible bless god i got the right doctrine bless god i got my end time straightened out bless god i witness bless god i do this bless god bless god how about bless god for his grace because all that is he says puffed up puffed up puffed up puffed up just call yourself a chief of sinner, and the only meekness you have is because of the grace of god The problem with a lot of independent fundamental Baptists is they've seemed to have forgotten what grace means. What's the saying? They're so doctrinally sound that they're practically no good or something like that. They're too busy figuring everybody out and they want to figure themselves out. They're too busy nitpicking everything that everybody does that's wrong that they've forgotten that they're wrong. They need God's grace. And if you're meat for anything, it's only because the grace of God. Grace, grace, grace. All right, go back to Romans chapter 5. We've got one more verse. Romans 5. Look at verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Our Lord. So Paul, he traces his sin to death. And the ultimate source of that death is Adam. But Paul also traces grace to life. And the ultimate source of life is through Jesus Christ. But it says when the law entered. And so the law as well, because in Romans 5, we already looked at, just by way of a quick review, look, Romans 2 and 3, it's we, Romans 1, 2, and 3, we see it's because of our own personal sin. That's there. But Romans 5, Romans 5 now starts to bring out, okay, put your personal sin aside for a minute. You're in Adam. And because you're an Adam, it's his sin why you die. So Romans 1 through 5 covers the whole gamut, depending on what chapter you're in. But the law is a source of death because it just shows us how much you and I really oppose God. And the law, it it does not solicit sin. In other words, the law doesn't ask you to sin. The law tells you, hey, don't sin. But when it tells you don't sin, what it does, it elicits sin. In other words, it draws out a response. The law didn't cause you. It didn't ask you to sin. It's just when you saw it, it elicited a response. I'm not listening to God. Or whatever it is in your mind. that drives you to do what you do. That's what the the law in this connection to death does. It brings out your rebelliousness. It brings out my rebelliousness. And at the end of the chapter, it says, unto eternal life, that's an everlasting reign. There's two reigns here we see in verse 21. See, that is a sin. There's a reigning unto death. Even so, my grace reigned through righteousness unto eternal life. So there's an everlasting or an eternal, rather, Rain, which would mean that won't fail you. If it's eternal life, when does it end? Trick question. It don't. (laughs) The expert physician, he can be completely honest with you about your disease. Is that doctor responsible for your disease? No, he's not. Did that doctor give you the disease? No, he didn't. All that doctor did was identify you are a sick person, and this is the disease that you have. Now, I've got the medicine, and I've got the cure, and I've got the remedy. You know what that doctor, that physician hopes to do? He hopes to cure you. You know what we have? A disease because of sin. When people say, well, I don't believe in doctors. I'm not taking taking anything that the doctor gives me. I'm against all doctors. And there's people like that. They're not going near a doctor. My friend, that doesn't change the fact that you have cancer. That does not change the fact that you have a disease and a sickness in your body. I just don't believe in doctors. I'm just not going to take any of the medicine. They're all out to kill you. They're all out to get you. Well, I don't do that. Oh, no, we do that with God. We all have a disease. It's called sin. Well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that he can have a cure. I think God's out to get me. God's so mean. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? It's God's fault. No, it's not God's fault. The law is just showing you that you have a disease. It doesn't change the fact whatever you do with God, it doesn't change the fact that you are going to die. People want to prove in their minds the Bible isn't true. People want to come up in their mind that God, all Christians are just hypocrites, so this is why I'm not going to trust Christ. The fact remains, it doesn't matter if you don't want to believe in God. The fact remains, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you are going to die. You have a disease. You're going to die. Is there anybody that can stop death? Not a one. The remedy is provided unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. It's provided by Christ. And a born-again Christian can rejoice. We've got all the cure. We've got all the remedy that we need in the person of Jesus Christ. We've got true peace. We've got eternal life. We've got a heavenly home. Pagans, they don't have any remedy. The deist doesn't have any remedy. I just believe in God's (laughs) The atheist does not have a remedy. Those practicing witchcraft don't have a remedy. You can travel to India and meet the Dalai Lama and he will not have a remedy for you. The remedy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And just like these people, they don't believe in doctors until they get cancer and they have to be in the cancer ward and they're, they end up getting involved in all types of quackery. You've seen people die of cancer. Well, that's different. You've seen people die. And you're going to die. I don't believe in God. Okay. It's going to lead you to get into all types of quackery. And you will end up traveling to India. Trying to find the answer. It's quackery. The answer is only found. The cure is there. God is not against you. He's for you. He's for you. When Jesus heard it. Saith unto him. Unto them. They that are whole need no need of the physician but they that are sick i came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance to reign in grace through righteousness and the eternal life by jesus christ our lord you've got to repent and come to god John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he died in 1807. He was 82 years old. Toward the end of his life, his eyesight was failing and his memory was failing. He said that he remembered two things. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. If there's two things that I want you to remember before you leave this morning. It's those two things. You are a great sinner that is sick, and the great physician has the cure. I don't believe in cures. I don't believe in God. It doesn't matter. You're still sick. How do you know that? Look around. Everybody that you know dies. You are going to die. And there is a remedy, and there's only one remedy, Jesus Christ. During his lifetime, he was shipwrecked out in sea for 11 hours. It was a horrible storm. He was crying out to God for mercy. We all have to go through the storm of sin in our life. When did you cry out to God? Be merciful on me, the wretched sinner.